down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Gentlemen, welcome to this episode 135 of the Art of War Dana podcast. I am Adam Camilleri. As you should pretty well know by now, 135 episodes. Remember my name. Uh, it's about time, you know. I think I think it's about time. I'm joined by uh, one of my one of, one of the, a gentleman who is growing on me and should be growing on you. I think he's one of the premier gentlemen and also one of the premier players in our great scene. He is from the land across the pond from where I am now. His name is Vic Vijay, and he's part of the uh, a bunch of different very notable teams and places and podcasts. But I will leave those to him. Hello, mate. Welcome to the show again. Oh, Adam, thank you for that introduction, and it is a joy to be on here again. So tell us, where may people know you from? And if they don't know you from those places, where can they find you? Sure. So uh, me and David Gaylard, we run a podcast called Fireside 40K, which is probably our most accessible content. Uh, but if you were to to kind of see us, we are on a number of different kind of podcasts and shows. And we both play for a team called Dice Down. Um, Dave plays for Team New Zealand and I play for Team England in the WTC. Very exciting. So that's a, a lot of WTC goodness. A lot of and it tells you what kind of caliber of people you are listening to. Also, anybody who has a, a WTC, any team next to them is a top player in their town, in their region, in the world, even. But um, my man, we are here to do the Codex retrospective for the Asurani portion of the Eldari book. We are not doing Harlequins. We are not doing Yanari. They are probably going to be their own episode. They're probably worthy of their old ep- their own episode, almost definitely for the Harlequins. Um, but these are your first love, aren't they, mate? Oh, I love playing with Craftworld Eldar. And um, the Asuryani have been my most played faction across the uh, the previous season um, of 40k, compared to 40k, and it's my most played faction. And I adore them. And I think that they've really, you know, had a had a little moment to shine now in Arcs of Omen, and I'm very excited to talk through the Codex with you. Dude, fan-freaking-tastic. I am also... So, those of you who do not know what the Codex retrospectives are, around it's, it tends to be around about a year to nine months to a year after a Codex has come out. I look at them again. So, I, of course, Art of War Down Under is a two-part podcast. First part comes out Tuesday mornings, blah, blah, blah. Second part, um, in the Patreon only, which is Art of War Down Under over on Patreon, where you can get the part two of this one, which is going to be answering a couple of listener questions and also doing a deep dive into the competitive viability of Asurani into the Arcs of Omen uh, metagame so to speak, breaking down what's good about them right now, what they, what levers they can pull to get advantage and what they do into some of the most prominent matchups. Jump over there and grab that goodness yourselves. But the retrospective is us taking uh, this codex through a little bit of a medical examination, talking about which bits and which portions of this book that make up the body of the faction are working well, are performing well, and where where has been a bit of a miss? Has it been a hit? Has it been a miss? Has it been a bit of a, a fail or a bit of a, a neutral for the player base and for the competitive players out there? But Straight to you, Vic. What was your first impressions of this faction when you cracked over this erstwhile book some 12 months ago? <laughs> so when this book came out, there was there were quite a few leaks. Things were, were put out on the internet, and we were seeing that the Eldar, so the Asuyani portion of this codex would be very powerful. Yep. But upon release, it was the, the Harlequin part of the, oh. the, the book, which really got all of the attention. And how? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the the leaks were incorrect, and a lot of the the Eldar por- the Asuyani portion of the codex wasn't quite as strong as expected. And um, you know, uh, I, I opened it up and I saw a number of things which were still very strong despite being overshadowed by the Harlequins. And um, the Asuyani portion of the codex did prove to be quite a powerful faction within the meta game as soon as it was released. Oh, incredibly powerful! It's actually really interesting, almost kind of a case study you can do on this because I know for a fact that there was a version of this codex that was released to playtesters or and mind you this was in a time before when there was a lot of leaks coming from the playtest group and possibly why those playtesters are no longer playtesters and there's a very small <laughs> yeah. pool of said playtesters but i know there for a fact there was a a version of battle focus that was just move again mm-hmm. and that was army wide no t's no c's you just shoot and then you move and the playtesters lost their minds and I think leaked it on purpose to possibly create some public uproar to get it changed because I think that would have overshadowed the Harlequins at the time. Um, but 
the fact is because of that stuff, because that stuff was some of that stuff was so busted and so broken, um, that is why Harlequins got past the keeper. No one was paying attention to them. No one even saw them because of some of the, how how busted some of these things were. Is that your recollection of stuff? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think there was potentially a point during the playtesting process where the Asuyani bit got nerfed and the mm. Harlequins bit got buffed. Yes. But they kind of maybe messed up the Harlequins bit a little bit. <laughs> but of course, because out of this book, of course, we got the Void Weaver spam. But also out of this book, we had some very, very powerful combos, notably being um, Hail of Doom with Ignore's cover tacked onto it as well. And were you a big proponent of that? Yeah, I think that was the the key shining build at the start of the metagame for this codex. Um, Hail of Doom plus Ignore Cover and Hail of Doom plus Exploding Sixes. That was the very first build that came yeah. out. There was a little bit of success with that. Uh, so that's Exploding Sixes when you land from Deep Striker Reserves. Uh, but then really Hail of Doom plus Ignore Cover started to take over um, following that. Um, especially in the UK, it became a very dominant build over here. It really um, did. It, it worked on your terrain a little bit better than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in America, people were much more diverse with the factions that they were using. Uh, they were trying Bialtan, Altway, and, and really going for very balanced lists, which which was quite cool to see. Yeah. So where are they now, in your estimation? How, just in your hot take and, and your current practice and experience with them, how are they doing into Arcs of Omen? Oh, it, I mean, I could talk for an hour on this, on Craft World Selection. What, because... what a coincidence. That's what part two will be. Because <laughs> <laughs> Craft World Selection is so incredibly detailed here, and I think there's a lot of discussion points which people aren't having. I'm very happy to share as many of my thoughts as you'd like to have. Um, but the key, like, top level, I think that Ignore Cover is extremely important still to handle some of the, the armies in the metagame. And... That makes me tilt away from Altway, but I think out of the named factions, Altway is probably the best. And then out of the um, kind of far-flung craft worlds, um, I think Ignore Cover plus um, either Swift Strikes or Reroll a Wound or Vengeful. I think Swift uh, Ignore Cover plus a multitude of different sub-factions will work really well. Absolutely. So jumping into the first portion of this book, and for those following along at home, we will be starting on Ulthway which is page 85, and we're going to be talking about the uh, named craft world. How good are they? How, how well they've held up? And is this a good section of the book or not? And I'm going to start off saying I do not believe this is a good section of the book because of how few of the options available here have been used. I think, well, so in, in 8th edition, mate, it was um, LA Talk was the most prevalently used one. They were innately mm-hmm. minus one to hit, and that was just doubling down on all the units being able to... Um, uh, lightning fast reactions and things like that because because minus is stacked back in those days but even then i felt like we saw more variety here than we do now essentially from this i have played i have personally played against Tan twice and then nothing but halo doom <laughs> or ulthway so ulthway is the only one that i've seen taken en masse here mind you i do think it is one of the best ways to play them at the, at the moment w- what are your thoughts on this section yeah, I do think um, that Altway sit very well in the metagame currently. Um, I, I would argue that during the time when Hail of Doom plus Ignore Cover could be played, they were miles better than Altway. Way better, way better. Way better. And uh, despite whatever the figures might show in terms of representation, um, that was much stronger than Altway. But now, I think Altway has a lot of incredibly good strengths that work well in the meta. To, to my mind, it is a question between do you want to play a more reliable and better spread secondary game, which in case I think you play um, Ulthway, or do you want to just damage check and stats check your opponent off the table, in which place I think you play Hail of Doom or an Ignore Cover combo, right? Yeah, I think the Ghost Helm of Ali Shazir, which is their relic, is, is, phenomenal. The, is the key defining feature yep. of this sub-faction, because it allows you to, to kind of play uh, a psychic secondary every single game yeah d- d- regardless of what your opponent's playing like uh, unless maybe it was t- it was old tyrannies but they've gone by the wayside um so yeah i do think Ulthway just gives you the ability to auto play a uh, psychic secondary versus just about anybody maybe t suns is a, is a pain in the ass but uh the other only other one that i'd say is a fringe pick from the main craft worlds is sam hine i've seen that taken mm-hmm. to quite a few team events especially by uh, simon gorkovic one of the um uh, Australian WDC winners. Um, he's been playing a little bit of Simon here and there, and I look at those lists and I find them quite exciting. I look at them. Um, what are your thoughts? Is that a fringe pick for people? Yeah, I think Stephen Box has taken it to some success over in the UK as well. And I think fundamentally, Eldar can be played in a way that is pure Alpha Strike. 
And you can do that either with same hand or with one of the kind of purely melee tech far flung craft world options. Um, and, and I think that's a valid way of playing it. You really apply the pressure and it's, it's quite fun as well. Yanari is exactly the same. Exactly right. Uh, so I think it is mostly a fail, unfortunately, because of how few of the the main build craft worlds there. Are, there are what? How many pages here? One, two, three, four, five. There's five pages here, and literally, I've seen one of these pages uh, played by the player base and mass. But we're going to jump over to the far flung craft worlds, and there's actually way more of this that is activatable in the current meta, especially um, than the previous pages. Tell us about what the combos here uh, are here at the moment, and is this a good section for the Craftware players? So I think almost all of the combinations that people will use will involve ignore cover. Mm-hmm. And then the second option, I think, is most likely going to be Swift Strikes. And Swift Strikes is very, very interesting. There was a bit of contention on the ruling of it and whether yes. it allowed you to advance and actually perform a battle focus. But now it's been officially FAQ'd on the Eldar FAQ, so you can do that. That opens up a lot of things in the army. Um, you know, there are a lot of powerful units which do benefit from being able to battle focus or alternatively able to advance and shoot heavy weapons is very very relevant at the moment both with shroud runners for that second point or things like warp spiders or swooping hawks for the first point yeah absolutely right i've seen quite a few variations as well like i uh, was it um is it um children of cain mm-hmm. is one that i have seen hunters of ancient relics even uh, is one that I have seen. Um, we can shoot without actions failing, but I do believe you're spot on. A- any combination needs to come with um, Ignore's cover. But honestly, do you think Halo Doom is still better than any of these combinations? It's a close one. So the two main Ignore cover combinations is either Reroll a Wound or Children of Prophecy or Swift Strike. So those are three. With Hail of Doom, it's an all-consuming trait, so you don't get a second trait with it. And I think the Hail of Doom lists are showing a lot of success currently with tournament results. They're one-dimensional, extremely powerful lists, mm. which can put out a lot of output overwhelming your opponent. Personally, after testing it, I think it's a very, very close call. And personally, I think if you're a very, very good player, you're better off playing off Hail of Doom at the moment than you are playing in it. There are some of the armies where having ignored cover is extremely important. I don't think Hail of Doom can handle armies like Dark Angels, for example. I, I, I do agree with that uh, 100%. Um, Doom can it'll give you that, that Hail of Doom edge, but at the same time, you, you're all in a one-trick pony. And if you just don't make the rolls, you pretty much just lost the game. Um, mm-hmm. The first time you, you swing and miss, the game's kind of kind of over. Um, question for you: Is Hail of Doom and Ignore's Cover the best build-your-own faction power? So, is the most is it the most powerful build-your-own faction combination we have ever seen? Hmm. I'm trying to think about it. Um, so we do have Obsec pre-game move scout for Necrons. I, that is more powerful than Necrons. It's more powerful for Necrons than Hail of Doom Ignore's Cover is for Eldar. But I feel like Anybody, <laughs> anybody <laughs> would would take Hail of Doom and ignores cover in their army if they could. Just a bit. Uh, I Maybe not think Dark Technomancers was more powerful on release. That is correct. I was wondering if you'd find the, only, the one, the one in a <laughs> that million. That is the only one. Perfect. Well done, brother. <laughs> that is the only one that I've ever seen that could even be said to be more powerful. Um, Fantastic, because I do believe like the GSC ones, um, all the Atastic Toil and all those mm, war combos, yep. um, while being more impactful for GSC than these are for Craft Worlds, the, the power is not even in the same realm. It's not even in the same district. Um, so that is one of the best parts of this book is the fact that the build your own Craft Worlds are still providing winners um, even about a year after its release. Jumping into the stratagems, mate, tell us about this section. What is cool about it? What is good about it? And is it good or bad? So I think the Eldar stratagems are extremely flavorful. And I think it's very well defined by some of the the movement stratagems. Fire and Fade is probably the most defining stratagem for the Eldar Codex. Absolutely. Yep. A 2 CP to move any unit 7 inches is very, very powerful. Um, they did have matchless agility, which allowed you to move 6 inches on a battle focus, which was adjusted to just being a reroll now. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, it's good for game balance. Um, and we also saw some output stratagems, um, in particular Bladestorm was probably the most widely used one. Uh, one CP for exploding sixes and any shuriken weapon is really, really strong. I think we're going to start seeing people use more 
variety of stratagems that weren't so popular before. The Shroud Runner stratagem for wire weave grenades is really powerful. Really good, man. Really, really good. So I think people are going to start using that. People are going to start using D cannons a little bit more now that Swooping Hawks have got a little balance update. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way the meta is, that, that profile of weapon is quite powerful. There's three stratagems for that. There's yep. full rerolls to hit, 12 inches around a ranger unit. There's reroll ones to hit because it's a guardian unit. And Altway have a plus one to hit stratagem. So very powerful suite. Yeah, really good um, complementary uh, bunch of strats there. Uh, only one I'd add to the bunch is that on release, there was there was a bit of a problem stratagem. And it wasn't any of the movement-related ones. Uh, Eldritch freaking storm was destroying <laughs> people's souls. Um, yep. What has been this thing has been nuked out of existence, right? Essentially, it works now like some of the garbage um, or orbital bombardment stratagems we've got, where you pay a bunch of CP and then people just move away from it, and nothing happens, right? Yeah, unfortunately, it got significantly enough, but it was probably the first extremely powerful orbital bombardment kind of stratagems. It, it really which was. happened in the same turn. I think that was the the really distinctive feature that about was, it. I also I wanted it to be like um, different, like you didn't add damage, you added range to it. Like for every psyker that you added onto it, you you increase the range of the bubble, and then people could try and move out of it. But if you got big enough, they just couldn't. Rather than adding mortals and mortals and mortals and mortals onto it, which always just felt. Uh, insane. Realistically, they probably should not have even included anything like this in there and just saved themselves the hassle, but it, it essentially doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Well, in all honesty, GW should just give up on that style of freaking stratagem <laughs> and just let them die, let it, let it go. It doesn't, they've never done anything, and anytime they do more than nothing, they're broken. So... <laughs> <laughs> just let it die but there's also great ones in here there's um phantasm there's forewarned there's funny enough i remember getting slapped around by linked fire a couple of times in the early days when fire prisons would come out because they were ignoring invuln was all the freaking rage back then it was, it was very few armies that could do it on such powerful units mm -hmm. i think only, yeah. the, only the hammerhead there's also really powerful stratagems both for uh phoenix lord getting back up yes and and forewarned as well for an 18-inch Auspex scan, which is very powerful. Really, really good. I think the stratagems are an absolute banger in this book yeah, for, for Craftworlds. I think they're an extremely powerful section of the book. And uh, moving on, next up we have uh, one of the other best places of both parts of this book. It is the Exarch Powers. You want to tell people how this works? Oh, Exarch Powers are really cool. So when you buy an Exarch Power, so Exarchs are essentially the leaders of your units. And when you buy an Exarch Power for a leader, they gain a different benefit. It's either um, plus one ballistic skill, plus one weapon skill, plus one, oh no, plus one ballistic skill or plus one attack, and they all gain plus one wound. And each uh, Exarch power can only be taken once in your list. And there are some really, really powerful ones in there. Um, and some units are defined purely on the Exarch powers. For example, striking scorpions, crushing blows, being able to auto wound with an Exarch is probably one of the most powerful Exarch powers that, that we have access to. Um, I don't know. Are there any other kind of real highlights that stood out to you? Um, which is the one that lets the Banshee Exarch have like 12 attacks or whatever? <laughs> so the Banshee Exarch will have 10 attacks with Mirror Swords regardless of what Exarch power they oh, take. Okay. But one of the Exarch powers allows it to be damage 2 rather That's than damage 1. That's what it very, is. Very, very powerful. Very powerful. Um, and a big one which we might see more of now is with... Um, with Hail of Doom not being so popular, Swift Strikes being really popular, there's a Warp Spider uh, exile power called Web of Deceit, which allows them to do a Swooping Hawk-style battle focus where they can oh, redeploy anywhere cool. on the board that's very once cool. per game. So a, a big unit of Warp Spiders auto-advancing six with a Fate Dice and with Swift Strikes, then able to battle focus and bounce out, is kind of an alternative replacement for Swooping Hawks with a much higher output for the points. The only... The only one I, other one I could say it's bad touched me is actually the Burning Heat Fire Dragons one, where they just <laughs> auto-wound on a hit within nine of their target. And so a lot of the times you can go second, you can go first, Phantasm your Wave Serpent up, and then just move, sorry, move, get them out, advance, and then just get within nine. On the weekend, I lost a, I lost a Dread Knight to just like two of these dudes. Uh, getting within nine and auto hitting, just iced him. Um, so that that is one that's bad touched me recently. But I can say that mm -hmm. a lot of these have hurt me over time. Of course, the um, was, which one was the sweeping hawks? It was it was a ring evasion. Uh, yeah, sweeping hawks don't have such a great one. They kind of function more on that relic 
mm. the Exarch ah, relic. That's right. quite interesting. That's what I was looking for. And it's yeah, you're right. It's a relic. Um, so that, that is like you actually, because of this tree, and I think this is one of the best parts of this book, you actually essentially get to put an Autark level character in a bunch of your different squads. I say, mm-hmm. I think that Scorpion Exarch, I think that Banshee Exarch are Autark level, Autark level characters. And so you're just like, well, why would I, why would I take an Autark? It's so, oh, it's, so superseded. It's a bit awkward that the Howling Banshee Exarch hits twice as hard as the Howling Banshee uh, Phoenix Lord. Dude. <laughs> a little bit awkward. Dude, it is very awkward. Um, um, the only other ones, so which one was the Shining Spears one that is good? The Shining Spear one is called Heart Strike. That's Any right. wound rolls of 5 plus are a mortal wound in addition. And uh, one of the weapons that the Shining Spear Exile can take, the Paragon Saber, allows you to re-roll hits and wounds. So wow. um, it's a great combination there wow. for a really good. well-priced unit. Honestly, the only ones that... So I think all of them have relevant options. Like even Crimson Hunters and... Um, and Dark Reapers have relevant good options for their mm-hmm. units. It's just that the units aren't good. So it's a moot point <laughs> to having good buffs. Because I think this is possibly the best part of the book, the best section, and one of the best um, internal customizable thingy-thing things that we've had in Ninth edition. Yeah, it's extremely flavorful, really. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a nice bit of creativity they've added into this. Totally agree. Now, the interesting thing about this book is that the next relevant section for Asurani is the secondaries. Usually, we'd have Warlord traits, relics, psychic powers, litanies, if there were any, and then the secondaries. But for some reason, secondaries are next, mate. So tell us the story here. How are they doing in Arcs of Omen? Um, I would say pretty badly, <laughs> to be honest, in terms of the actual faction-specific secondaries. Um, so... They lost the one where they have to work with the webway, right? And they've kept Scout the Enemy, which is doing an action in No Man's Land, uh, which is decent. Um, And, you know, if you use a unit of rangers or something, it finishes at the end of the turn. And if you go into the opponent's deployment zone, it's four points. It's quite high on points there. Um, But you have to sacrifice a lot of ranger units. They're not particularly cheap for this role. Um, And also it competes with retrieve battlefield data in this um in this section so i think retrieve battlefield data is easier for uh, asuyani to build into wrath of cain is very good if you have a lot of aspect warriors but i think people are maybe not running a high enough quantity of aspect warriors to be able to make the most of this um what is the, th- the third one scry futures isn't it so that's a psychic secondary where you do um and psychic action on an objective for three points i think this one still comes up in any of the six objective missions so say you're on tide of conviction i think that's quite a good setup dawn of war six objectives to be outside of deny range and still get scry futures rather than warp ritual there you go. Um, I think that was a very good rundown and TLDR of that. Uh, so your uh, interesting to take is you're seeing the comparison between the Rangers and the R&D, and you think the R&D is, e- is easier to get on average? 100%, because now that you know you have free strategic reserves, you can play small units of anything out of um, strategic reserves, and that really helps, particularly putting Dire Revengers in and just doing six-man Dire Revengers, grab R&D in one quarter and go for it. The other big thing is the way the Arcs of Omen detachment works is very easy to add Harlequins to your list. And they're very, very good at finishing oh, yeah. off the final R&D at the end yep. of the game yep. because they can jump back into the sky. Absolutely. And of course, you mentioned Dire Avengers because they're one of the few things that can do an action and still Correct. shoot without any support. Uh, so good stuff there. Um, next up, next relevant section, we have the Relics section. And I got to say, <laughs> I need to point out here, that you and this faction contains the one and only pistol freaking relic that has caused me any grief <laughs> in the last two editions. Um, we're talking about Kurnov's bow, which is a uh, range 18 pistol three, uh, strength five, dash, dash. And anytime you uh, successfully wound a target, you take a mortal wound. Why is this good? But why have we not seen it in a while? Oh, I mean, I'm still running it uh, in in my latest list. But yeah, Kurnos's bow is pistol three, and um, it's very good because it's a shuriken weapon. So it synchronizes very well with Hail of Doom. Any six to hit in Hail of Doom is a six to wound. There's also a relevant warlord trait where any six to wound is an additional mortal wound. So if you get a six to hit 
or a six to wound with the Kurnos's bow while you have Hail of Doom, it's two mortal wounds instead of normal damage. So that could be six mortal wounds there. If you hit Bladestorm as well for exploding sixes on the hit rolls, you could pump that up even more. Um, so quite a lot of mortal wound output all of a sudden from one character. And the big thing is um, Asuriani have access to Fate Dice to auto-make hit and wound rolls into sixes. So extremely powerful. Absolutely right. Uh, what are some other gems from uh, the Relic section? Uh, so there are a few other good ones. I think Sunstorm is very relevant. Sunstorm is an Asuriani biker model, and they replace their jet bike with the jet bike called Sunstorm. It moves a base move characteristic of 20 inches, so they can auto advance 26 inches. And they have Obsec, which is very, very powerful for Eldar. Um, Falcho's Wing allows an infantry model to gain a movement characteristic of 12. And also, if you fly over an enemy unit on a 2+, plus, they take D3 mortal wounds. I think this is a bit underrated. People are using it in Yanari um, to some effect with Farsi, with Autarchs. Um, the other one, which we is good, but again, we probably see it in Yanari, is the Phoenix Gem, where when a model is destroyed for the first time, you roll a D6 on a 2+. plus. It comes back up at the end of the phase. And that's a big one because the Yin Khan can jump in in the middle on that one. Um, the only one I think I've seen before is the I think it's the Weeping Stones, where you roll additional uh, mm-hmm. when you roll an additional strands of fate dice, and people mm-hmm. are comboing that with um, Wolfway to pretty much just get everything they want from that yeah. mechanic. You uh, roll 7 and keep 5. It's crazy. And then you have whatever re-rolls for Eldrad or other Farseers, which is, I think, just kind of... You're just playing on, like, fixed dice at that point. You're just playing <laughs> a fixed game. Um, but I think the Relic section is is quite good. And then we have um, the baby Relic section, which is the, the Exarch Relics. Of course, the Phoenix Plume being the most notable of those uh, for the majority of the, the time that Dex has been out. That's been a Supercore Exarch for a 4-plus invulnerable save rather than a 5-plus, and then a 5-plus feel no pain on the unit. I mean, uh, I have never run that, Adam. Really? I've never taken the Phoenix Plume once. Really? But all the way through my time of running Hail of Doom and Ignore Cover, I did pay the CP to get two of these relics. And the two I always got was Crone Scream, which is a Howling Banshee Exarch. You do D3 plus the number of charges that you made. So it's a minimum D3 plus one, Mortal Wounds on the charge. And Kane's Lance on a Shining Spear Exarch, where on a four plus, you do D3 Mortal Wounds and you apply Fight Last. See, I have been really impressed with Kane's Lance and I've always been frustrated by the plume. I've never really cared about the Crone Scream. I've always, the units ever either was going to kill me anyway or it, it did like two models um so it's interesting you, you you rate it because and also it's it just always seemed to be a one use only because who's these people who are just letting banshees <laughs> make charges from the other side of the table I'm just like guess i'll let those live you know uh it's usually you've lost pretty horrifically if they make it to another turn the actual output of the Eldar melee units is is not great relative to the points costs of the units. That is true. And these little things, which add a small amount of extra damage, is usually what can tip them over to doing enough damage on a reliable basis. And that's the main thing Eldar sometimes struggle with, reliably finishing off targets without overcommitting. So I really like the ones which do a bit of extra damage. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. Um and of course, um, Swooping Hawks have been uh, dealt with, so to speak. So I think you're, you're really onto it with the two that you take um, that are worth it right now. Um, overall, I think the relic section is good. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an absolute banger, but it's very competent and it's got quite a bit of depth. Do you agree? Yeah, weak but cool. I think is probably the that's, right way of looking at it. That's a great way of saying it. Um, nothing, none of it is like. Uh, this is obviously the best one. Never not take this one. But there's a lot of little bits of goodness in there. Um, Onto the Warlord traits. Tell us a story here. Uh, these are bad, aren't they? Let me let me actually get Damn. them up. No one ever takes them. You're, you're um, terrible, <laughs> mate. They're, they're not- yeah, I, I mean, Seer of the Shifting Vector used to be so good in the previous Codex, allow- giving you some reliability on Psychic Cast with a reroll. Now it's just gaining command points on a six, uh, which is okay, but not really worth spending a CP on. No, it's the not. Op- yeah, it sucks. I mean, Ambush of Blades for the additional point of AP as a command phase buff is okay, but again, not seen in Asuyani, seen in Yanari. And the only one that's relevant is the Mark of the Incomparable exactly Hunter, right. uh, which is the one we talked about with the Kurnos's bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, the, that's the only one that I have paid any attention to. The fact is, this is one of the crappest Warlord trait sections in all of 40k. It's It's not even... There's a couple down there, but this is this is easily top three worst Waller trait uh, sections. Um, 
Yeah. In, in fact, this is one of the reasons that I like Orthway a lot of the time because their traits just just take it because it's just better. I can't mm-hmm. even remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the Orthway one, Fate Reader, is really good just for the uh, keeping an additional uh, strands of Fate dice, which is, is so That's, powerful. They can let you have the yeah the fifth dice. Um, so jumping down, we've had our first absolute stinker of a section, and we're about to follow it with a banger because we're up to the psychic trees. And so these are the the uh, runes of fate and the runes of battle are the ones we're referring to. Uh, I have zero complaints about either of these sections. They've been good for like a decade. Yeah, they're really cool. And this is it's it's one of those things without like how many psychers can I take in order to actually get access to as many as I want because. They're pretty much all good, except for Mind War in Runes of Fate. Correct. Um, you could, you, theoretically, you could take all of these and not be unhappy. But then you look at how much of your list you're giving up to take all of these, and you're like, wow, I could have so much more army. Yeah, it's a tricky one. You look at it from an offensive perspective, and you're like, okay, so if I put, you know, Jinx for minus one save, reveal so you don't get a cover save, guide, doom on this enemy unit, and I shoot it with my unit, then yeah, obviously you're going to die. But how many points and how many attempted psychic tests did I just put into that? Correct. Um, And then that unit that you pulled out, maybe you fire and fade it, or use some other, you know, durability strat or lightning faster, and all of a sudden that combo just went to exponential um, resource investment. Yeah, and once you've got those things in place, you're like, okay, now I need a bit of defense. If I get my, you know, my Wraith Guard unit and I want to put Protect for plus one save and Fortune on them as well to try and keep them alive, put them in cover uh, with Conceal, then, you know, how many psychers do you need to actually get access to the things you want in your list? And I think the fact that so many are good makes list design so incredibly interesting. Oh, thank you. I thought you were going to say makes list design so hard, but you are correct. <laughs> it makes it exciting. How much of this do you need? Like in the current metagame, I rate Will of Assyrian way higher than I did in Nephilim or Nachmund. I think it's really important in the current game right now when things are, everything is just running onto objectives and dying. You need to make sure when you get onto that objective, you knock down that banner, you take, you, you hurt their primary. I think Will of Assyrian is actually quite great at the moment. And but then at the same time, everything's just dying. So is Fortune losing power? Like, you know, those those six uh, Swooping Hawks so that, or those six, you know, uh, Striking Scorpions, ain't nothing going to save them. So maybe don't take Fortune <laughs> at the moment um, once you've committed them. Those kind of things are really cool internal discussions you have with yourself when building a list. Yeah, and I think... It's not. It's important that we don't ignore how powerful executioner is as a psychic power. Sorry? Executioner not requiring line of sight and being eighteen inches and doing sometimes two d three mortal wounds is very very important for this army to continue to apply pressure. Uh, at least I found in my experience. And when you combine it with other psychers that are you know throwing a smite here, you've got an allied shadow seer also doing mirror of minds through the wall. Um, you can really put a lot of pressure onto the enemy while staying safe, and that's really Eldar's ammo. So my only issue with it is that you rarely have a fate dice for it, and it's a seven to cast. So that's my only issue with executioner. Usually I see people's fate dice; they always go for doom, they always go for guide, um, etc. Then it's rare you have that third one left to just go. Here's my executioner um, to order get that one off. Uh, but it is extremely good. You are correct. Like, how do you find that you you wield? Like, you know, what do you put those on, and, and do you use fate dice for it, or you just just raw dog the seven? So the latest list I took to a tournament does not have Guide or Doom in the list. Ooh. And instead, of, yeah, right, it has Executioner. It oh. prioritizes Executioner. So oh, my God. There's uh, Exactly. It's wild, right? But it is. there's very kind of logical list design reasons for it. And that's the beauty of it. Just so much stuff can work here if you've just thought it through. And Executioner is very powerful for the kind of game plan that I was looking for. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I... If I have a spare fate dice, it goes into it. But often I'm kind of picking hit and wound rolls, but I'll roll a seven. No problem. <laughs> exactly. You just got a bit of belief. You've seen the future. You've divined the stones. Uh, that I do think it is still one of the best portions of the book. I think apart from the Exarch powers, it's the next best thing. And obviously, this I think, is this the third book or the fourth book in the row where, where it's been really kind of defined by Guide and Doom being two of the big foundation pillars of all your output? Yeah, it's so characteristic of Eldar now, and I'm really glad that that's the feature of it, I think. I think very flavorful. Me too. I do worry for their future when I, I believe there's more uh, no re-rolls factors in the game than 
before, especially with Custodes being the most played faction most weeks of uh, Arcs of Omen. Yeah, you just don't run Guide of Doom then. <laughs> that, that, that's, I was about to say, was that why you dropped him? No, that's any matchups that didn't work. So for Guide and Doom to be relevant, so let's say for let's just take Guide for example, for that to be relevant over Execution, you need enough units, and I say at least two, which will benefit from having full rerolls. Correct. And they need to be large hammer units. If you don't have large hammer units, then you don't need it. You're going to get much better value out of Executioner, and hammer units is going to be a lot of Hail of Doom compared to any of the other sub factions. That's fair. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair. Um, but on those terms, like Hail of Doom doesn't, or you know, much much rather have Guide than Doom, right? Because uh, it, it benefits from both. Because I think um, both the Wind Riders and the Dire Avengers having core, getting full rerolls to wound or full rerolls, full rerolls to wound. Doom is is a big one. Doom is very relevant, I think. Uh, but yeah, Guide is relevant for a single unit that you kind of pump Blade Storm into as well. Okay, uh, moving on to the data sheet abilities. There's a couple of here to unpack. We do do some of these reviews where there's nothing to really talk about in the data sheet abilities, but we do need to talk about battle focus because this is, I believe this is one of the skill checks, one of the generalship skill checks for uh, def- that define great Asuriani players is how much mileage you're able to get from this rule. Um, mm-hmm. and whether you can use it effectively. I've seen a lot of players who just, they literally don't roll it because they don't care and they don't think it matters. And I've seen other players win games because they remember their battle focuses and et cetera, et cetera. How does this work and is it any good? So battle focus works after a unit has shot it can then make a D6 move, and you get minus three to that move if you go over any kind of area terrain. Now, there are some restrictions to it. You can't have fallen back, you can't have advanced, um, unless you're playing Swift Strikes, in which case you can advance and do it. Now, it doesn't sound great because it's so variable, but the thing is, if you utilize it, so let's go even more top level. Eldar is playing on limited resources, and you need every single resource to activate. The resources become even more efficient when you can activate them twice. And that's where the defensive strategies like Fire and Fade and Battle Focus come into play. If you can set it up so that, let's say your Dire Avenger unit, is you've made the conscious effort, you're just sticking your guns out around the corner, and your unit has shot, you got all the efficiency out of it, and you battle focus one inch, and you make it so that only one of your models can, say, be shot. You've rolled under, and you've, you've only just managed to get out with the, the other eight models. And that gets shot. And then the second activation of your opponent's shooting is unable to shoot the remaining Dire Avengers. That is a situation where you have gained an extra six or five Dire Avengers in your army. And these things add up to give you wins in games where you have an army that is inefficient because the points cost is too high. Mm -hmm. And that's Eldar to a T. Exactly demonstrating what I just said about the generalship. Letting battle focus really shine. Finding a way to keep your unit alive, preserve, disrupt primary, do all sorts of stuff. Get over table quarters for engage and and, and, Mm -hmm. and things that are all behind enemy lines. Uh, It really is a big deal to get the most of it. I think it's a great great ability. I'm happy it is not busted. It, it's it's not the most powerful thing, but it's kind of cool, and it makes the Eldar feel like they're moving in lots of different phases. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I like it. I don't think it's the most impactful sub-faction um, like faction ability out there, but still good. Uh, next one is Favoured of Cain. This is specifically for... Um what are they called? Aspects. Phoenix Lords. Phoenix Lords. Uh, it gives them a four-pin vuln and it gives them the wound gating, as in they can only take three wounds per phase of the game and they can never have a relic or a warlord trait. This has mm-hmm. been a massive point of contention on models like Baharoth and then I suppose Karandras as mm-hmm. being real frustration pieces when I think mostly in teams events when you're able to wield them into monophase armies, things like Tau, um, has, they've just been like game-winning pieces, and I will say, mm-hmm. Baharoth is a straight-up piece of shit. Just, 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 <laughs> just a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, Baharoth is so glorious. Gosh, I Shush. love that guy. He's, he's, oh man, he's the worst. <laughs> just the worst. Uh, is this a great ability? I I think 
now that all the Phoenix Lords are appropriately priced, so they're all about 150 to uh, between 140 to 160 points. Uh, I think that's very expensive for the level of output that they they provide, but it's balanced because of how powerful this ability is. I think they've done the Phoenix Lords so so well here, and it's it's all down to the fact that they gave them all obsec, a three wound phase cap, and they come with a four up invuln as well on the side. Nice. Um, so I I like it. I love it. I love the Phoenix Lords. I think they're in such a perfect place. And all of them are viable except for Fugan at the moment. I agree. Fugan offers very little. So Mugen as well? Morgan Raz, okay, Morgan Raz? I think. Yeah. Uh, now that Armor of Contempt is gone, the AP2 is relevant. Oh, okay. And he provides output in combat and shooting. Dude. Um, Morgan Raz, okay. A bit pricey at 160. It was a bit unfortunate that he got the higher points cost. Fair. Uh, I, I like the rule. I think it's awesome. I think it's something that brings those um, Phoenix War Phoenix Lords back into a bit of oomph because they have felt really pretty shit for a very long time. I mean, when did you like? <laughs> Gina would have just been like, "Huh? Like, you, sorry, you what? We need we need to send out what, what's that three hundred thousand baros? <laughs> All right." <laughs> I mean, he looks pretty stupid, but all right. Um, he's, he's older than your father. Um, <laughs> Strands of Fate is the next one. This is kind of the core. This is the mono-faction detachment, so mono-faction ability, uh, and probably one of the most powerful of its kind in the game. It makes Miracle Dice look a little gimpy, to be honest. Yeah, this is extremely powerful, and this is more powerful than Miracle Dice, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, and I think this... You know, I, I'm amazed that they managed to make such a powerful faction ability and then still balance Eldar, which is quite impressive, to be I mean, it, to, it took them a couple of goes, mate. Yeah, it, it took them a little bit of time, but not as long as other factions. Um, but Strands of Fate, essentially, at the start of uh, each battle round, you roll six dice, and then you can keep four of those dice. And each of the dice um, values will correspond to a different roll, which you can change to a six. So just as a single example, a three is a psychic test dice, and you can change one. So before you roll, you can throw a Strands of Fate dice in, and you roll the second dice the strands of fate dice will be a six for that role very very powerful extremely powerful this is the defining uh this is the defining mechanic of the whole freaking traction in my opinion and mm -hmm. uh, this is what you'll live and die by this is the reason like we said that Orthway can just play a psychic secondary first damn everybody because you can just make sure you have a six to drop um and then of course but so uh to explain for people though um how mm -hmm. does re-rolling it work do you have to re-roll the fate dice or can you keep the six um, so I've been playing it as you reroll both dice, Correct. so you lose the Strands yep. of Fate dice on a reroll. But I've also been playing it that if you, let's say, roll your Psychic Test and you reroll the Psychic Test, on the second reroll you can throw a Strands of Fate dice into it. Oh, okay. If you want to. I haven't thought uh, about it from that. That doesn't that come way. up very often, though. Mm. Haven't thought about it from that side, but I do think your first interpretation is 100% correct. If you want to reroll and you've already used it, you have to reroll both dice. Um, the same for charge rolls etc you need to you needed to make you needed an eight used a six roll to one well you got to re-roll them both and go for the eight which is different from miracle dice where you keep correct. the miracle dice still in there correct uh but yeah i think this is a phenomenal mechanic i am not a but i have to tell you mm -hmm. in my dice game i genuinely do not like that these mechanics exist I don't like Ooh. the I don't like the miracle dice mechanic. I don't like the the fate dice mechanic. I don't like that I play a dice game and you play a certainty game. I don't think that is a fair and equitable system. <laughs> and I'd much rather the GW does away with anything that gives certainty and that we always have a variable in every interaction. That that being the D, the six sided dice. Um, they should have something. They could easily have something equitable with something with with something different. I'm just stating. I hope there are none of these in 10th edition because when one, one person is playing with certainties and one person is always has a variable, it just feels bad. So I would say on this one, Adam, as a competitive player, both are very competitive players, having this kind of consistency in your rule set immediately means that this army will kind of benefit high skill play yep. and planning. Correct. You've re removed the variability and you can then kind of guarantee certain plans come together if you can see and make the plans, mm -hmm. which is why armies like Sisters and Eldar, which are fragile with these mechanics in place, are so incredibly rewarding for high skill play. That's true. But you can find your rewards elsewhere. <laughs>
<laughs> Dig deeper. <laughs> Aim higher. No, it's fine. It's fine. And I'm totally fair for, for to, to you know be corrected or be incorrect with that. That's just my personal opinion. That's and that's how I like my dice games. I like the dice to matter. But honestly, in my opinion of, of ninth edition, has been the dice have, have never mattered less. Um, than they have in ninth edition. Everyone just has enough dice to do accomplish whatever task they require accomplishing. Um, it's very, very few times where I feel like I haven't got enough damage to kill the thing I need to kill. If it's only one or two things, um, and, and likewise for everybody else. So jumping down to the data sheets, my lad, how are these holding up? I, I you said a couple of times that you know it's quite a flimsy, quite a fragile army, and I do think some of the data sheets are on the weak side compared to contemporaries, especially compared to possible contemporaries in even Drakaris, let alone Harlequins, or possibly even other fragile armies. Like you mentioned sisters as well. Um, go. Uh, I think the external balance of this codec, on, codex based on its data sheets is quite poor. I think it is a little bit weaker on the data sheets, but I think the internal balance has become very good now that the points have been adjusted correctly in a few different places. So I, I would make an argument that almost all of the aspect warriors are almost on parity in terms of balance. And there's a lot of um, kind of incentive to take the first of each aspect warrior unit. For example, the first um, Howling Banshee unit is usually more powerful than the second or third. Same with the first Striking Scorpion unit. Same with the first Shining Spear unit. And then there are other units like Warp Spiders getting, you know, having being 22 points to Swooping Hawks, 25 points. And 22 points puts them at a point cost where, you know, a unit of six is about 150 points with upgrades. So is a unit of five fire dragons with a fire pike and extra damage on the fire pike. So there's uh, there's so many viable aspect warrior units between the 110 to 150 point mark, and all of them have a role that they fill. So I'd say the internal balance is good. External balance comes from the synergy of the entire army playing together, not from the individual strength of the data sheets. Agree with that. You need to add layers on top of these guys. Every single data sheet, essentially except for the Avatar of Cain and possibly the Phoenix Lords, they're the only ones I'd say on face value need no enhancement, are just good straight out of the box. Everything else needs a couple of couple of wrinkles put on top of it, a couple of layers of some of some goodness put on them. Even things like even staples like Dire Avengers need mm-hmm. Blade Storm, need some guide, need some doom. Um, you put you put them up against a contemporary. So they're an elite slot, aren't they? They're not even they are an elite slot, but they're they're probably the most efficient thing in terms of pure damage output. For example, ten Dire Avengers compared to the equivalent number of points of um, Warp Spiders, that would be five Warp Spiders. The output difference with no buffs for ten Dire Avengers versus five Warp Spiders is out of whack completely. The oh, Dire Avengers sure. are so much more powerful, and the Dire Avengers are probably one of the only units that can compete against more powerful units in. In the in the army in terms of just pure data sheet with no extra buffs added on top but they can be buffed significantly you know that's pretty much why i pointed them out because i feel like they are the best data sheet yeah, that is not one of the mm-hmm. two i listed the, the the phoenix lords or the avatar um how many points is a, is a dire avenger uh, they're 13 points it was 130 okay. for 10 and the upgrade on the exarch for a second catapult is free okay so i mean do you look at them and then you look at their equivalent of say let's say intercessors and they they dunk on the intercessors for damage wise like they make the intercessors look pretty freaking ordinary um, <laughs> yeah. and and the fact that they can you know do put out that damage whilst still doing an action as well they got that extra like i said that extra wrinkle in there um i think the data sheets are doing okay like i said i think they're they're about everything feels like it's pretty well costed pretty appropriately costed for their for what they accomplish now uh, it's only the Wraith units, which are just a little bit out of whack, I think, on the internal balance, unfortunately. I mean, um, I mean, my poor, the, the, the Wraith Knight, right? That, that's the next banger to, <laughs> to really you know, stomp onto the scene. Just waiting for him, people to catch on. Said nobody ever. <laughs> yeah, the Wraith Knight's not very good. I mean, it's a bit of a shame because the Wraith Blades, the Wraith Guard are very, very cool. The Wraith Lord kit is incredible. Even the Wraith Seer having a D cannon is so cool, but they're all just over over-costed. 
um, for this particular meta where their durability is really not relevant. Um, so it's unfortunate. They're very flavorful units, but I think Eldar has a lot of very viable data sheets to make them still feel super varied. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm in the Art of Warhouse right now, and mm-hmm. I watched a game between uh, Nick and Richard, where mm-hmm. Nick had a unit of nine Wraith Guard with Wraith Cannons. Um, Wraith, and, okay. <laughs> yeah, he was just kind of playing around with the unit, seeing what it could do. And I was just running the math on it, and I'm like, this thing coming out from reserve just like kills, what, two Dawns? Like a unit of 10 of them will just come on and just five guys kills a Rogal Dawn, five guys kills a Rogal Dawn. It's... Like the damage output is significant, but I asked I asked him how many points is this, and he's like, "Well, it's like four hundred points." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, that's why." <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, so I'll say in terms of this, like if you compared it to three D cannons coming out of strat reserves and spent one CP for the reroll ones to hit, you will also kill the rogue dawn. That's true. but it's at half the points cost. At half the points cost, but you won't have a bunch of bodies that can push up the board, and you can hide Correct. characters behind, which I think is what Nick was using. And before. you won't be as cool. Then you will not, no, exactly, exactly right. <laughs> you will have zero cool points to leverage, whereas you know the Wraith Guard have uh, quite a few. Um, that brings us to the end of things. Um, I do think the die sheets are holding up quite well. Give us your little um, your little pep talk for any aspiring Asuriani players out there. What should they be excited about um, in with their army into Arcs of Omen? And also, this will be the hype piece for part two, which you should also uh, purchase. <laughs> So I think where Asuyani sit in the meta, they have a game into any army. They can compete at any tournament with any set of pairings that you get. And the best thing is that I've seen people have success with a huge variety of armies. You can essentially not only play something that's very powerful, but also you can play the models that you really like. I think we're we're very lucky we're in a good place with this codex. I think it's very well balanced. Your opponents will have fun. You will have fun and you'll be able to develop as a player with it fantastic and well said on that note we will close out this part one of episode 135 thank you so much everybody who has joined us thank you so much everybody who came up and said g'day at the cherokee open you guys are fantastic and yeah please go over and check out fireside 40k i tune in every single week that it comes out it's one of my favorite places to go and hear the hotness from the uk scene in addition to hear um the lovely david gaylard and his dulcet kiwi tones is always a pleasure (laughs) also um Congratulations on being selected for the UK WTC. I wasn't sure if it's been announced yet, but yes, it has. Yeah, I'm part of Team England this year, which very is exciting. Uh, a great, great privilege. Actually, very exciting. And uh, Team England, did you guys play against them at um, ITT? <laughs> we we got paired into Team Poland on round two, ah, okay. and we got Yikes. absolutely smashed by them. <laughs> but we did finish the uh, the entire tournament higher than Team Poland after they lost to Team England. Yeah, that was a. That was a bit weird to see the. Or <laughs> I usually like to see in my team events or in any event if you're if you're on the top table you end up being one and two, but to see mm-hmm. them play for the win and then end up sixth, I think. Oh no, they they didn't. They played round five and then ah, they didn't okay. make the cut, so there was a sixth round. Oh okay. So they they go. didn't actually get to the finals. Yikes! There you go. Well, anyway, yeah. thank you so much for jumping on, mate. I hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, Codex retrospective. Stay tuned in a couple of weeks. Probably going to be doing um, the one for Harlequins, and I'm maybe pushing the Yanari one in adjacent to that because there isn't actually that many rules to discuss in Harlequins. Um, so we'll pad it out with the Yanari possibly. Also, I'm planning to do some State of the Super Faction episodes coming up soon. If you have any preferences of which ones I do first and which ones come uh, will come up next, by all means, get involved jump in that patron or that discord and let me know your preferences and yeah we'll see you on part two cheers guys thank you for listening to art of war down under a content review podcast for warhammer 40k hosted by adam camilleri produced by seamus ronan enjoyed the show want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice sign up to our patreon and connect with us online or on facebook just search for art of war down under signing out from tomorrow